Genesis chapter number seven. And uh, matter of fact, I'll let you stay seated this evening. So you can, you can just stay seated if you would. But I uh, wanted to share a few things by way of introduction instead of having you stand for a lengthy portion of time. But as you look at the outline tonight, we're beginning this series on uh, Sunday nights. As I was thinking about the theme, thinking about just a direction that the Lord would have uh, me as, as your pastor, but also uh, us as his people. And uh, one of the things that I just over the years have, have really enjoyed studying is as I study the church in the first century in the book of Acts, I see that the folks that God used there in the first century, and I believe from that time on, and probably has always been that way, is God has always just used what I would call ordinary people. And he uses people just like you and me, but when God uses someone and they allow themselves to be used of God, we see God doing remarkable things, and it's not because of the person, it's because of God. And so God used the ordinary to do the extraordinary. And tonight as we begin this, I want to talk to you about extraordinary obedience. Uh, by way of introduction, as you uh, maybe uh, would watch a, a, maybe a, a television show or a movie or read a book, a lot of times you, when you're involved in something like that and you're tuned in and you're watching or reading, you're, before long, you're, you're taken in by the plot line. Uh, there's, there's something that's kind of driving that story. And if you're like me, a lot of times it it's, it's, can be very intriguing uh, as you're reading or watching. And sometimes it's, it's some of those where you see that the world, maybe in the book or the show or whatever, that the world is in danger of ending. Uh, and if, if it wasn't for the help of someone, maybe an ordinary person to come along, uh, kind of the hero of the, the story, the hero of the book, the hero of the movie. And of course, it's, it's kind of funny because uh, over these last couple of years, I think every time I see an advertisement or something, uh, they have to just about have exhausted all the Marvel superheroes. I mean, they just continue to, to go back and, and grab some of the other ones. But, you know, a lot of times those ordinary people, not always, but sometimes they're reluctant because of the danger that is there. And those stories kind of seem like they grab our attention. They intrigue us because of that sense that there is impending doom. Uh, in our lives, we, we watch certain things like this and we realize ultimately that a lot of the scenarios that are put together by a writer or by somebody that might make a show, these scenarios are, are scenarios that many times could never really happen in real life. Uh, that's exactly what they are, is they're not reality. But when you, when you get into God's Word, you find some instances where, like the one we're going to look at tonight in the book of Genesis, that it tells us of one person who is a real-life uh, individual that was living out an end-of-the-world scenario. And that's what I want you to see tonight, this ordinary man that God used to help save not only his family, but also to help him to save a number of animals from extinction and really all of mankind. Uh, this individual was no superhero. As a matter of fact, he was ordinary, but he became extraordinary because of what he did for God and for his family and for so many others. And I want you to see this. If you have your Bible, they are open to Genesis chapter number seven, beginning in verse number one. The Bible says, and the Lord said unto Noah, come thou and all thy house into the ark. For thee have I seen righteous before me in this generation. Of every clean beast thou shalt take to thee by sevens, and the male and his female, and of beasts that are not clean by two, the male and his female, of fowls also of the air by sevens, the male and the female, to keep seed alive upon the face of all the earth. Notice, to keep seed alive. For yet seven days, and I will cause it to rain upon the earth forty days and forty nights, and every living substance that I have made, there's some great things that you need to see here, 
God says every living substance. And then he says that I have made, God has made everything. And it says, he says, all of these will I destroy from off the face of the earth. And Noah did according unto all that the Lord commanded him. And Noah was 600 years old when the flood waters were upon the face of the earth. That's old. 600 years old. I know a lot of times people talk about age. That's age right there. And the Bible says that he was 600 when the flood of waters was upon the earth. And Noah went in and his sons and his wife and his sons' wives with him into the ark because of the waters of the flood, of clean beasts and of the beasts that are not clean and of fowls and of everything that creepeth upon the earth. There went in two and two unto Noah into the ark, the male and the female, as God hath commanded Noah. And it came to pass after seven days that the waters of the flood were upon the earth in the 600th year of Noah's life. In the second month, the 17th day of the month, the same day were all the fountains of the great deep broken up and the windows of heaven were opened. And the rain was upon the earth 40 days and 40 nights, just as God said it would be. In the selfsame day entered Noah and Shem and Ham and Japheth, the sons of Noah and Noah's wife, and the three wives of his sons with them into the ark. They and every beast after his kind, and all the cattle after their kind, and every creeping thing that creepeth upon the earth after his kind, and every fowl after his kind, every bird of every sort. And they went in unto Noah into the ark, two and two of all flesh, wherein is the breath of life. And they, went, they that went in, went in male and female of all flesh, as God had commanded him, and the Lord shut him in. Now when I read this passage, I see here and we understand the story that Noah built an ark, a boat, a humongous boat, and he filled that with his family and with these animals. He was used of God to save the world from this catastrophic flood. Uh, what a huge task God gave to him, this building of this structure that honestly was bigger than anything and that anyone had ever seen, and it was big enough that God wanted him to collect the animals and go into this ark and remain in there for months. I mean, I don't know what they had for air fresheners, but it must have been at times quite challenging to be in this, but nonetheless, this is what God commanded him. When I think about what Noah did, one of the key verses is verse number 22 of chapter 6, and look what the Bible says there in your notes. Thus did Noah according to all that God commanded him, so did he. Everybody see that verse? Let's read it together, all right? Here we go. Thus did Noah, according to all that God commanded him, so did he. So when I look at that verse and I think of his life and what he did for God, I'm thinking to myself that Noah's extraordinary quality according to the word of God, is that Noah was obedient. That sounds trite, but a lot of folks, they are not obedient. Uh, there's always something that they have an issue or a problem with. Uh, they define obedience, which is an act or instance of obeying. It's the quality or state of being submissive to the restraint or command of authority. It's a willingness on someone's part to obey. And what set Noah apart from all the others of his day was that everything that God asked him to do, he just did it. It didn't matter what it was, he just obeyed God's instruction. And a life of obedience is a life that, that listen, it understands both how to obey God but it also understands the why we should obey God. I want to know how to obey God, but I also want to know why I should obey God. So a couple things about this matter of 
his obedience, which is a great example to us, first of all, is extraordinary obedience flows from faith. It's an outflow of a life of faith. A person, the Bible says, the just shall live by faith. Uh, we need to be men and women who do not walk by sight, but we walk by faith. That we, listen, although we don't understand it, although we can't see it, we don't know the end from the beginning, listen, we need to trust that we serve a God and we know a God that does know the end from the beginning. And so an extraordinary, not just an obedience, but a Noah-type obedience is one that flows from faith. Listen, long before there was an ark, there was a man. Before God ever gave instruction, before he ever started swinging the hammer, before this, this ark began to be constructed, there was this man by the name of Noah. And the Bible says in Genesis 6, 8, look at it. Noah found what in the eyes of the Lord? He found grace. And grace is God's unmerited favor. And this is what he found. That Noah was, uh, he knew of God's unmerited favor. Just like you and me, just like every person that's ever been born, he too was in need of the grace of God in his life. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. Uh, listen, those chains have fallen off. God has set us free. Noah understood and he found grace. Look at the next verse there, Genesis 6, 9. Noah was a just man and a perfect man in his generation. That doesn't mean he was, he was perfect. It's talking about maturity. He, listen, he was one that understood the grace of God. Look at the next part of that verse, verse 9. Noah walked with God. I mean, would, would the Lord that every one of us would say in our lives, I want to walk with God. I want to do what God wants me to do. Even the writer of the book of Hebrews, that famous chapter, chapter 11, that we call the Hall of Faith, the writer, many believe was the Apostle Paul, included Noah in that, that famous chapter. The Bible says of him in verse number 7, by faith. Noah being warned of God of things not seen as yet. Did you get that phrase? That's faith. He was warned of God. And, and the Bible says he was moved with fear. He prepared an ark to the saving of his house, by the which he condemned the world and became heir of the righteousness which is by faith. So Noah had this extraordinary obedience in his life. It was beyond what the average person would just do, and this obedience flowed from the faith that he had in God. In other words, it flowed out of the relationship that he had with God. See, that's the one thing all of us need. If you're going to get through this year and you're going to make it to the finish line of your life, every one of us need to understand that we have to have a relationship. I know if you're saved tonight, you're in Christ. But, you know, if we're not careful, it's just like many marriages where, you know, you got the ring on your finger and she's got your last name. But is there a relationship? Because I've met a lot of couples who are married that even live in the same house, but they don't have a relationship. God desires to have a relationship with us. It, it tells us in the book of Genesis that God came down in the cool of the day to walk with man in the garden. And we find here that Noah was a man because of his obedience and his faith in God that all of this flowed out of his relationship with God. Nothing that Noah did, and by the way, you and I too, nothing that he did in his life was intended in any way to earn something with God. Noah obeyed God all because of God's grace in his life and all because of God's mercy in his life. Uh, the song that children oftentimes sing, that from time to time, Brother Kenny will have us as adults sing, I think it's one that we always should have you know, on our tongue, is obedience is the very best way to what? Do you know the song? Some of you said it. Obedience is the very best way to what? Show that you believe. 
It really is. When you obey God, it shows God that you believe that he is faithful, that God will uh, be there for us, that God's grace is evident in our lives. Our obedience should not come from a sense of, of debt to God that that, listen, certainly we owe a debt, but it, it, when, it, when it comes to obeying God, it's not because of even fear. And I reverence the Lord, but see, so many times people are guilted by, by what they do or what they should do. Our relationship is possible because of Jesus' work on the cross. And our accepting that gift of God, which is eternal life through Jesus Christ. So when I think about this matter of obedience, it's not our payment for a debt. You know what it is? When we obey God, it's an act of love. It's evidence that I love him because he first loved me. And that while I was yet a sinner, Christ died for me. And because of what the Lord's done for me, I mean, there is nothing that God would ask me to do that I should not be willing to do. I should will be willing to obey him. And, and listen, there is nobody, when you study the word of God, I don't know if there's anybody outside of the Lord Jesus and the apostle Paul that has done as much for the cause of Christ. Listen to what Paul writes there in 2 Corinthians chapter 5. For the love of Christ constraineth us, because we thus judge that if one died for all, then we're all dead. It was Jesus's love for Paul that helped in Paul's relationship with him. And that's what honestly drove Paul, that, that helped him to press on the upward way. It was why he wrote, the love of Christ constraineth. It, it's the love of Christ. It's not my cup of coffee that gets me out of bed in the morning. You know, It's the love that he has for me, that his love supersedes anything that I could ever do or show towards him. And Noah had this in his day. Noah pressed on for God. He didn't understand it all. I mean, listen, there had never been an ark built before. And yet he did it because he believed and he had faith in God. And so extraordinary obedience, it flows from our faith. But notice secondly that extraordinary obedience, it grows through resistance. Now that's not an oxymoron, but... In our lives and in Noah's day, there was great resistance to him and to the work that God gave to him. And as we think about this passage, a lot of times it's, it's, it, it goes back to what that illustration that I used about uh, sometimes you'll, you'll read books or, or watch a show or something and you'll see something with this impending doom. And, and a lot of times you'll see this hero in a story is an individual who then decides that they're going to intervene somehow. They're going to gather up some resources and they're going to come and try to save the day. And, and this is something that we see even in Noah's day. Noah was making the announcement that God gave to him. Now you have to remember, that's part of the reason why Jonah didn't want to go to Nineveh is because of the message that God gave to Jonah to take to Nineveh. You know, it's not popular to talk about the judgment of God. You know, most time, you know, preachers, if you ask them, hey, what do you want to preach on? Usually they want to preach on something that's positive, something that's cheerful, something. But guess what? When you have to preach the whole counsel of God, that means sometimes you have to preach on the judgment of God because God is just. God is going to judge this world. You know, he promised that he would never again, like he did in, in the book of Genesis, that he would never again flood the earth with water. But he certainly did that in Noah's day. And listen, Noah's message was a message sent by God about the judgment of God, how it was going to come on the entire world, and it was gonna, God was going to flood the world because of the sins of the people. And listen to this, that that message that God gave to him, it was in the making 120 years. I remember when I was younger and I had gotten saved and started uh, going to preaching meetings and started growing in the Lord and I had an opportunity to get around some great men that, that God used in my life to just kind of help me and one of those men that I enjoyed every time I heard him preach was Dr. Lee Robertson. 
And, you know, I, I, uh, preachers were all uh, different in so many ways and not good or bad or anything like that. Some are soft-spoken, some are a little bit louder, and some are a little bit more eloquent, and some are kind of rough around the edges. And uh, some, some have just, you know, when it comes to messages, they, their, their messages are just, you know, they're not like mine. They're, 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 they're good, you know. But, but here's the thing is, Dr. Robertson, uh, you know, a lot of times when you think of somebody that's pastored a church, I've now been here for four years, I think of, on the average about every year, I think I preach about 256 messages. So you can do the math just in four years, uh, somewhere around a thousand different messages. And, you know, I don't get up and preach the same messages. I just kind of, as the Lord directs and God guides, and, I, and again, having themes and things like that kind of helps me. It kind of keeps me going in the direction that I believe God wants me to go. But Dr. Robertson, he, he was kind of a different kind of guy. And he used to say that you don't need like all these messages. Matter of fact, I heard many preachers who knew him very well said that if you listen to any of Dr. Lee Robertson's messages, that the, the reality was he only had six messages. Six. Because every one of his messages really kind of sounded about the same. And he lived by the verse, have faith in God. I can still hear him preaching, waving that bony finger. You know, I can still hear him, have faith in God. You know, I can just still hear the man challenging people to live a life of faith. And when I think about individuals like him and, and so many others, listen, Dr. Lee Robertson probably preached the gospel for about 60 years. Noah preached the same message of judgment for 120. I mean, you know, listen, I'm sure that Jonah probably, or Noah probably thought to himself, I'd like to have a new message, Lord. Give me something different. But God said, nope, let's just stick with the same thing. You know, let's just keep preaching the same thing. And he just kept preaching about the judgment of God for 120 years. And during that 120 years, while, while he was doing that, not one drop of water hit the ground for 120 years. And look, in our lives, we may not get 120 years, but God is always going to give us time for a turnaround. That's why we talk about the grace of God. God's going to give us an opportunity to turn our lives around like he was doing. See, people say, I just can't believe that God did what he did. He flooded the earth. But think about it. I just told you, and the word of God tells you, that for 120 years, God said, turn back to me. Turn away from your sin. But because they would not do that, Noah just kept preaching and kept telling them about the judgment of God. And besides building this ark, which was quite the task, and beside getting all these animals, I mean, I don't really know how it worked out. I don't know if Noah was like a Dr. Doolittle, you know, that he could just walk out there and kind of whistle and they would come over. I mean, I'd be a little scared about going to get Mr. and Mrs. Lion and say, hey, come on, we got to get you on the boat. You know, there's, there's some animals, I don't think I want to want to mess with them. But this is what God told him to do, and he was given this task of building the ark, gathering animals, but there was another job that God gave to Noah. And that job that God gave to Noah was to tell the whole world that he was going to judge it, that he was going to send this flood, and he was going to destroy everything that was in the world. And when you think about that, Peter wrote, and look at Second Peter 2.5, he writes, And spared not the old world, but saved Noah, the eighth person, a preacher of righteousness, bringing in the flood upon the world of the ungodly. And the Bible says here he was a preacher. As a preacher, what was he doing? He was declaring the truth. He was telling them that God was going to judge the world, that judgment was coming for 120 years. I mean, if you came in here every Sunday, and that's all I preached on was the judgment of God, I think you'd be like, listen, I need to go find another church. Pastor, don't you have another message? Isn't there something more lighthearted that you could preach on? 
But this was the message of the day. By the way, I still believe that this world needs to hear about the judgment of God because God is going to judge this world. God's going to judge the United States of America for the sin of our lives. So even in this advance notice, for 120 years, Noah preached this message about the judgment of God. And what did the people do? Just like today, when messages are preached, that oftentimes they fall on deaf ears. People hear it, but they don't hear it. Or they resist. They're like Paul, when God began to deal with him about his salvation. And he, he said to him, he says, you're kicking against the pricks. The Holy Spirit's convicting, but in Noah's day, same thing. The people were resisting. They definitely did not appreciate preacher Noah's message. They didn't walk up to him and say, man, that was a great message, Noah. Sure appreciate you preaching on that again and again. They didn't say that to preacher Noah. He was a preacher of righteousness, and I'm sure that as time went on, that just like many, many pastors, he probably faced ridicule. He probably was mocked while he was working, while he was preaching. I'm sure that in Noah's day, it was difficult to have faith in God and keep preaching righteousness, especially in the face of the opposition and the resistance and the unbelief of all the people. Jesus actually said when he was on this earth, he said, that's how bad things are going to be right before I come back. Look at this verse in Luke 17. And as it was in the days of Noah, so shall it be also in the days of the Son of Man. Does it surprise you that sin is abounding in this world today? No, because Jesus said it's going to be just like... No one wanted to hear Noah. No one wanted to hear this crazy preacher that was building this big old boat. He's lost it. It's never rained. Why do you need a boat? And a lot of times I see it whenever I'm preaching certain things. I can see the looks on people's faces and, and I can see the disbelief and I can see the resistance. You know, and God shows that to me and I think to myself, I, I hope they get it. I hope they're listening. But can I tell you, listen, I'm not down on anybody because for years I sat in church and did the very same thing. I resisted God. I resist the message of God. I didn't want to hear about the judgment of God. And that's exactly what Jesus said. And to make matters worse, in Noah's day, he was building this, this boat. It was one of the longest and hardest projects. I mean, I've never spent 120 years building anything. You know, there, there's a, I think it's in the state of Illinois, when I used to travel, someone got it in their mind that they were going to take the resources and they were actually going to build a, to specs, a, a model of the ark. Now, the thing that they did was they used I-beams, iron I-beams for the, the actual frame of the ark. Oh, Noah didn't have iron I-beams. So whoever this was undoubtedly had some money, some resources. And for years I've driven past, I can't remember exactly where it's at, but guess what? Nothing has been done to it for years and years and years. It's just these I-beams that are all twisted and when you drive by you're like, what is that? Nowadays they'd call it modern art. But Noah just kept working on this Listen, I mean, he had never seen an ark before. I mean, Noah couldn't even, he couldn't even Google the plans for how to build an ark. And he didn't have the resources like we did. There were no Home Depots back then. You know, he had nowhere to go to get material. I don't know how it all played out. I just know that it was quite the project. And, and in spite of the difficulty, what did he do? He obeyed anyway. God asked him to do this. God gave him the specs, and he did what he knew was right. He was consistent in his obedience, and we know one thing is for sure, that he was consistent for at least 120 years. That's pretty good, because most of us, we won't live 120 years. And this man, for 120 years, 
did what God asked him to do. And so notice obedience, it grows even out of a course of resistance. The people were resisting him in our lives. Look, we'll never see success in our lives from exercising until you challenge your body to do beyond what you thought your body could do. You know, maybe pick up some weights. Well, I can't do that. Sometimes I see people in the gym, they pick up the bar and they're like, you know, and I'm like, uh, put some weights on there. Well, no, that, that'd, be, that'd be heavy. I'm not interested in that. Years ago, whenever, whenever I did go to the gym, as you can tell, I don't frequent them that often. But when I would go, a lot of times I realized that as I worked out, there was resistance there. I, and, and when I would get done, I, every muscle in my body that I had used, my arms, my legs, everything hurt. And I thought, I'm going to die. But then a couple days later, that, that pain wore off. And you know what I did? I went back to the gym. I was able to put some more weight on it. I was able to get myself to where, yes, now I'm in pain again. And you work through that. And that's exactly what you and I need to do is exercise our faith and, and be people of God that are obedient even when there's resistance in our lives. Noah never, he, 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 look, he didn't know if this boat was going to float or not. He didn't know if it, if it was going to leak or not. He just did exactly what he was asked to do. And, and this was the, the thing is, he pushed past the ridicule. He pushed past all the people mocking him while he was working on this boat, while he was preaching about the judgment of God. Uh, Henry Thoreau said, the path of least resistance leads to crooked rivers and crooked men. Obedience. It's never easy. It has to be developed. But as we oppose, as we go through this opposition, we're going to be put under the pressure to quit. I mean, think about it, 120 years. I mean, after two years, five years, 10 years, I'd have been like, if I was Noah, I'd been like, I don't know about this. But he stayed at it. And the Bible tells us that if we're going to live extraordinary lives, we've got to learn the value of sticking to something. So many people start things, and then when it gets difficult, they quit. You know, I was just recently talking to someone that needs to go through some physical therapy, and I said, listen, honestly, it's going to hurt, but you've got to push past that if you stay with it. Brother Flynn's been doing physical therapy, and he told me, he says, pastor, I'm getting ready. I'm going to start driving my car, and then I'm going to start training for a marathon. That's what he told me. He's been pushing, pushing back. You know, listen, I'm, I guarantee you when, when they work on him and they're trying to help him, I guarantee you it hurts. But he's glad that he's doing it because he's now have, has more mobility. Mrs. Flynn's glad because she no longer has to carry Brother Flynn everywhere he wants to go. He can walk on his own now, you know. We have to understand that, that listen, when it comes to obedience, it's never easy. Sometimes it's very difficult. We've got to develop that. Those who live extraordinary lives, like the, the man we're talking about tonight, Noah, they have learned the value of sticking to something even when the going gets tough. Look at the Bible says in 1 Corinthians 16, 13, watch ye, stand fast in the faith, quit ye like men, be strong. Now that word quit doesn't mean throw in the towel. It means stand your ground, keep serving God, just be consistent, be obedient. Even though something is hard, quitting in the Christian life is not a good option. And Noah didn't quit. His obedience, it grew even through the resistance, living for God. Yes, it can be tough at times, just like it was for Noah. But when the storm clouds begin to roll in, guess what's going to happen? You're never going to regret that you were obedient to God, that you did what God asked you to do. Because I am convinced that God still blesses faithfulness. God still blesses us when we're obedient. So extraordinary obedience, it flows from faith. And extraordinary obedience, it grows through resistance. Notice thirdly, extraordinary obedience, it shows in time. I want you to see this because 
Sometimes in my life as a father, and God's given me wonderful children, but it, you know, when you're raising your kids, a lot of times as a parent, you're thinking to yourself, is anyone listening to me? You know, I mean, I'm saying a lot, but I just really don't know, you know, if it's, if anybody's really hearing me, you know, my dad used to say, boy, and I'd say, yes, sir. He wanted to make sure I was listening to him. That's, that's what happens sometimes in our lives. It's like the three friends. There was a lawyer, a doctor, and a preacher. And these three friends decided they were going to go hunting. So they get their, 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 their shotguns and they go out there and they're in the woods. They're walking around trying to be quiet, looking for deer. And all of a sudden, all three of them see the same deer. There's this big old buck. All of them pull their rifles out, and every one of them simultaneously, pop, 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 they all take a shot. They all watched, and this big old buck, it dropped. They made their way over to where the buck was, and they're all standing over it. They're looking at this buck, and one of them, one of them the lawyer, he says, he says, man, that was a great shot. He says, I hit that thing dead on. He says, that, that's, that's a wonderful uh, trophy, he says, that I just got. And the doctor says, wait a minute. He says, how do you know you killed it? He says, I think my shot killed it. And the preacher says, no, no, no. He says, it was my shot. Both of you are wrong. And they're standing there. They're, they're trying to debate. They're trying to figure out whose shot killed this, this big old buck. They're standing there talking about it. And all of a sudden, they hear a vehicle pull up. They look up, and they see a guy walking down, and it's a game warden. He comes down. He sees this deer laying on the ground, and he hears the men talking about whose, whose bullet killed this deer. And they're trying to figure it out. They're debating about it. I mean, they're being civil, but they're debating about it. And, and so the, this, this warden, he looks at the deer, and he looks at the three individuals, and he, he asks a little bit about them. He says, you know, you guys from around here, what do you do? And the one says, well, I'm a lawyer. The other one says, well, I'm a doctor. And the other one says, well, I'm a preacher. So he looks at the deer, and he takes a close look at it. Upon inspection, he says, well, I know who killed the deer. It's easy. He said, the preacher killed the deer. And the lawyer and the doctor said, wait a minute, how do you know? You weren't even here. How do you know that it was the preacher that killed the deer? He said, it's real easy. He pointed down at it. He says, look, he said it went in one ear and came out the other. <laughs> it's sometimes like Noah. Can you imagine for 120 years? Don't you think that man had to think time and time again, is anyone listening to me? Does anyone hear the message? Do you know America is privileged to have had revival and have the word of God? But is anyone listening to God and his word today? For 120 years, Noah talked about this, but here's the, here's the interesting thing. As I looked at this, the rewards of obedience, it will always come with time. It may have taken 120 years for Noah, but Noah was vindicated by God. As Noah just kept preaching that message, look, even though he didn't understand why he was doing what he was doing, he just kept doing what God commanded him to do. That's what the Bible says. God commanded. And in the end, his obedience was rewarded because guess what God did? He opened up the gates, the floodgates of heaven, and the rain began to fall. Now, according to the Bible, best I could tell, they had never seen rain like that before. We moved here from Southern California. We were living in the Mojave Desert before we moved here. Desert. Brown. No water, ever. And it was rare to get any sort of precipitation. When I, we moved out there, they told me, they said, we probably get about two inches of rain a year. Two inches. We moved here, and Brother Jerry Deacon said, I said, how much rain you guys get here? Brother Jerry goes, well, from about June to uh, October, November. He said, we used to average about 70 inches. I said, 70 inches? Are you kidding me? That's rain, folks. And the rain had not fallen, but 
because he was obedient, because he kept building the boat, the floodwaters began to rise and the earth was overtaken by water and everything that was on the earth was destroyed just as God said. But Noah and his wife and his sons and their wives and all the animals that God had instructed him, they were all gathered and they all survived. Noah's obedience, it carried on the promise of God's covenant with him and saved his life. Look at a verse, I don't know if you've ever seen it, Ezekiel 14, 14. Look at this verse. Though these three men, Noah, Daniel, and Job, were in it, they should deliver but their own souls by their what? Righteousness. Saith the Lord God. I mean, here's three individuals that the prophet Ezekiel said in the Old Testament that they would be saved by their righteousness and Noah's obedience. Listen, it just didn't impact him. Everything we do is going to have a direct impact on those around us. And because of Noah's obedience, guess what happened? His family was saved as well. What a great lesson for us. I don't know what my family's going to do, but I'm going to tell you this, but as for me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord. I'm going to stay faithful. I'm going to obey God. And the Bible says in, in Genesis 7, 7, Noah went in and his sons and his wives, a wife and his son's wives with him into the ark because of the waters of the flood. All of their lives, every last one of them, their lives were changed because of him, because of his obedience. God was rewarding him. It's very rewarding. I mean, can you imagine what it would have been like? I mean, all the emotions of all those people that were probably screaming, banging on the ark, let us in as the waters began to rise. And yet, although his heart was torn for those people, he thought to himself, for 120 years, I was telling you that what is happening has come to pass. But then when he looked around and he saw his wife and his sons and his son's wives, it was a rewarding thing for him that God had used him to save them. And that's what I see here, all because of his obedience. If you were to interview Noah, and I think it would be a, a kind of an interesting interview, and you were to ask him today maybe, or when you get to heaven sometime, hey, what was it in your life, Noah, that, that helped you live some sort of extraordinary life? Noah would probably tell you it wasn't extraordinary at all. As a matter of fact, it was, it was just the opposite Noah would have probably said, the only thing I was interested in was obeying God's plan. Just doing what God wanted me to do. It was the grace of God, I think, that enabled Noah to do the extraordinary. And when I think of us, the way for us to know what it is. I mean, Noah understood in his day, this is what God wanted me to do. God wanted me to preach and God wanted me to build this ark. It, it, listen, what is God's plan? What is God's purpose for our lives? It's no different than it was for Noah. God wants us to listen to his word. Look at the Bible says in 2 Timothy 3, 16, all scripture, not some of it, every last bit of it, every jot and tittle is given by God. It's given by inspiration of God and it's profitable. And look at the ways God's word will help us in our lives for doctrine, what we believe, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. God took the time to not only uh, inspire his word, but to preserve it unto our generation. Aren't you glad you hold a copy of God's word in your hand? That you can read the word of God yourself? The Bible says, heaven and earth shall, not, shall pass away, but my words shall not pass away. Forever, the psalmist said, O Lord, thy word is settled in heaven. God's word is settled. Man keeps trying to mess with it. Look, I lost count how many different Bible versions there are. Honestly, I tried to keep up with it, especially when I was in Bible college. And the last time I can remember, I think it was somewhere over 256 different Bible versions. God is not the author of confusion. The devil is. He doesn't want people to know the word of God. Because the Bible says God's word is settled in heaven forever. 
God gave us not only his word, but God also gave us the gift of the Holy Spirit of God. Why would God give us his spirit? So that the Holy Spirit can guide us into all truth. The Holy Spirit can help us to understand. Listen, you ever read something in the Bible and you're like, boy, what does that mean? And then you start to look into it, you start to pray about it, and guess what? The Holy Spirit starts to help you to understand. See, before I got saved, a lot of, a lot of the Bible didn't make any sense to me. Because the Bible says, the natural man, look at it, receiveth not the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness unto him. Unsaved people, they're like, they think the, the, the Bible's ridiculous. It's a, it's, it's a man-made book. It's a bunch of fables and stories, made-up things. It's foolishness to an unsaved natural person. Neither can he know them because they are spiritually discerned. But look what the Bible says in John 16, 13. Howbeit when he, the spirit of truth, is come, he will guide you into all truth. The Holy Spirit helps us to understand. God went to, look, he went through great lengths. I mean, in Noah's day, 120 years. And God in our day, God has gone through great lengths to not only give us his word, but also to give us his spirit, to have a relationship with him, to know what he would have for our lives, what he would have for us to do. I mean, we can read about what he wanted for Noah for his day. What about us for our day? After all that God has done for us, listen, should we not obey him? Shouldn't we do what God asked us to do? I mean, God's not asking us to build some big old boat. People laugh a lot of times, you know, I, I, like to, I like to do things, and I like to do things big, you know. If I'm going to do something for the Lord, I'm going to, and I'll never forget, we, a couple years ago for vacation Bible school, we had, we had, a, we, we, we had the theme, Over the Moat. How many of you remember that? And, uh, and seriously, we, we got ready for that, and in my mind, I had talked to Brother Kenny, and I said, hey, listen, we've got that thing that we used for the ladies thing, let's do that. And I thought it was a done deal. And, and Miss Becky's like, great, we got that. We got it out of the thing. And, and Brother Kenny and I, we started to put it together. And it was just a little bitty old thing. It was like eight feet wide, 10 feet wide, just a little bitty old thing. And I thought, that's never going to work. Well, we can't have vacation Bible school with that. That might work for a ladies thing, but that ain't going to work for VBS. You know, and Brother Kenny's like, what are we going to do? I said, we're going to build a castle. We started to build that thing, and we just kept building and building and Brother Kenny and Brother Chris were like, Pastor, how much more are we going to do? I don't know if you remember it. It covered the entire platform. There were eight turrets. I mean, we wrapped in things and we painted that thing. And it was, it was so awesome, I wanted to leave it up forever. You know, have an Irish church, you know, with a castle, you know. But when I think about this, listen, what we do for him, look what Jesus said in John 14, if you love me. Keep my commandments. You know what he's saying? If, if you really love me, then you'll obey me. You'll do what I ask you to do. Think about that. That means, that means he asks us to for, forsake not the assembly, be in church. He asks us to be a witness for him. He asks us uh, to, to give to the work of God. There's so many things he asks us to do. And he says, if you want to prove to me that you love me, don't you think Noah proved to God how much he loved him? 120 years he preached the same message. In the face of all the adversity, he did what God commanded him to do. Listen, that's what we need to do, is do what God asks us to do, even if we don't understand it. In time, we'll see the results. God will, God will make all things clear to us in time, and even if he doesn't in this life, Maybe he will when we get to heaven someday. But the reality is, when you get to heaven, it's not going to matter. I don't do what I do to be seen. doesn't matter to me if anybody says anything. I do what I do for the Lord. If, if, I, if God called on me to, to do what, I did, what, what Noah did, I'd be like, okay, no problem, Lord. I'd just find Brother Kenny and Brother Chris say, get ready. Tell Miss Becky that you're not coming home ever to bring food to you. Because Jesus said, if you love me, keep my commandments. Obeying God's not always easy. But can I say this? It's worth it to obey him. See, Noah didn't have an ordinary obedience. 
He had an extraordinary obedience. God help us to be the same way. Let's bow our heads tonight. Lord, thank you for the instruction from the Word of God. I pray that you'd help us to be a people that would obey you all the time in all things like Noah did, even when we don't fully understand. Lord, we're getting ready to to take part in what we oftentimes call the Lord's table. And, And even though we know in the Word of God that you love this world so much that you sent your Son, that Jesus left the splendors of heaven and came to this sin-cursed world. And he died on the cross. He was buried in the tomb, and three days later he rose again. He's seated at the right hand of God. But it's hard for me to understand why he would do that. And he died for our sins. And because of that, many, if not all of us, know him as our Savior. We've put our faith in him for our salvation. Lord, it's a wonderful thing that we're saved. But you've left us here after we got saved to live a life of faith. Not a faith to save us over and over again but to show this world around us what you've done for us and what you can do for them. But one of the things that they're watching us and they want to see in our lives is, will we obey you and do the things that you ask us to do? And when we don't, we're not a very good representation. Lord, help us even when it gets difficult, when people mock us and ridicule us. Help us just to continue to obey you in spite of that. Now, Lord, as we turn towards the table, may our hearts understand what we're about to do, the great sacrifice of your son, Jesus. In Jesus' name we pray.